Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. It's our first full week of work in the year of our Lord, 2024. And I think with what's coming this year, we're going to need our Lord quite a bit. Alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, hope all of you had a phenomenal weekend. Um, I wanted to start by uh, saying uh, thank you, uh, my publisher, uh, for Rise of the Fourth Reich. Post Hill Press sent me the uh, book scan numbers of the top-selling conservative books of 2023. And uh, Daniel Horowitz and I, who uh, co-wrote that book, that ended up being one of the top 10 best-selling conservative books of the last year. And we did, I, I would guess there's only two people on that list who, who managed to make it without a single Fox News appearance. Me and Alex Jones. <laughs> He's on the list too. So Alex Jones and Alex Jones with Bible verses uh, are, the, are the only two people, near as I can tell, uh, to be on that list that did so without a single appearance on Fox News, which means we largely had to do that here within our own ecosystem on, on the show, but also on The Blaze with help from people like Glenn and others who had us on when that book was released. So uh, thank you. Uh, and, you know, three years ago, um, Fauci and Bargain was one of the top three best-selling conservative books of that year. So uh, I just wanted to start off by saying thank you guys very much. Um, and we are very honored. And uh, you guys are tremendous and, and why we get to continue to do that. Also, it's a good segue for me to remind you. Uh, on January 18th, we're going to begin the new Theology Thursday series looking at my film, Nefarious. Uh, we put together a Bible study based on it. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston at Prestonwood Baptist and I did on spiritual warfare. Um, we're going to assume that you've already seen the videos that accompany the study guide because we can't go through everything in the amount of time we have. So we're going to do a question and answer based off of like you went in a group, you watch the video, then you go through the study guide. We're going to assume you've already gone through the video. And if you want to go through the study with us, get Know Thy Enemy, a nefarious Bible study. It's available at Amazon right now. Embedded in every book is a code that you will uh, that will grant you access to be able to view and download the videos. So if you want to go through that study with us, we begin on no on January. I keep saying November. January eighteenth is when that starts right here on the show. Know thy enemy and nefarious Bible study. If you want to go through it with us with your church, small group, just you as an individual, uh, know thy enemy and nefarious Bible study that begins right here on January the eighteenth. Uh, beginning here in Iowa, one week from today. Uh, officially will be the 2024 presidential election. And with this being an election year, our friends at Birch Gold want you to know, and you already know this anyway, it could be a very tumultuous year. How will your hard-earned savings fare? You've already seen the impacts of inflation at the pump, the grocery store. The dollar continues to lose buying power quicker than wages can increase. How are we protecting our savings? Well, Consider diversifying with Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against 
inflation, but now you can own it in a tax-sheltered IRA. And with the help of Birch Gold, just text Steve to 989-898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. If you text Steve to 989-898, they'll even help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. And the best part... You don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, you can trust Birch Gold. Text Steve to 989-898 to claim your free info kit. Text Steve to 989-898 to begin securing your savings now. So with the Iowa caucuses one week away, and being that we are right in the belly of the beast and can provide a unique vantage point to cover it that no one else in this industry basically can. We're going to spend a good deal of time on it on the show here today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, our good friend Bob Vanderplotz, who's been out on the campaign trail, seen what's going on on the ground out here in Iowa. He'll join us here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, at the bottom of next hour, one of the candidates, Governor Ron DeSantis, will be joining us. He's actually in Florida right now for the State of the State address, but he'll be coming back to Iowa shortly after that. And so we'll talk to him in between between something I am looking forward to. We usually do an Ask Me Anything on Monday. We're going to do something like that, but internally. I've, I've asked Todd to put together, uh, a, you know, kind of a mixture, I guess, of analytic, analytical and anecdotal questions about the Iowa caucuses, both, you know, in the I've seen some things category, but then also how does it work and what do I think will happen kind of stuff. We're going to get through as many of those at the top of the next hour as possible. Kind of uh, consider it to be, uh, you know, the 411 on the Iowa caucuses, right? And I did it, and apparently I succeeded because Aaron gave it a thumbs up. And I've not seen any of these questions, and so that's how much trust we, we ha I have in this team or how little we prepare to actually bring you a good show. And we're okay if you translate it either way or both. That's kind of how it works around Check here. clearing? Indeed. Checks are clearing, so things are good right now. Yes. That's the only standard, right? It's conservative media. That's yep. all that matters, right? Checks clearing. That's all we're doing here, it's just clearing show. checks. That's it. Just clearing checks. That's what we're not moving policy. We're not doing anything significant. Just clearing checks. So hop on the train, right? Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's get the gravy train going. And let's, for the first time in 2024, let us throw it to Aaron for a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the Secretary of Defense is not an essential worker, apparently. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in the ICU following a complication from a, an elective surgery. The Pentagon not only didn't tell the public, this weekend it was revealed they didn't even tell the White House. Austin, as of yesterday, remained hospitalized but not in the ICU. His deputy defense secretary was made acting defense secretary last week while she was on vacation in Puerto Rico. We're doing fine here. During his speech commemorating the anniversary of the events at the Capitol on January 6th of 2021, Joe Biden bragged about throwing J6ers in prison. Collectively to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. The Supreme Court said on Friday it'll decide whether former President Donald Trump can be kept off the ballot because of his supposed efforts to overturn the 2020 election, inserting the court squarely in the 2024 presidential primary. The justices acknowledged the need to reach a decision quickly, as voters will soon begin casting presidential primary ballots across the country. The court agreed to take up Trump's appeal of a case from Colorado stemming from his role in the events that culminated in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Biblical worldview update, House Speaker Mike Johnson has struck a deal with Democrats for a spending bill that would fully fund the government for the fiscal year that started in October of last year. The price tag? 
$1.7 trillion. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on a call with Senate Democrats called the deal a win for their party, according to Politico. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has reversed course, kind of, after vetoing that bill that would have protected Ohio youth from genital mutilation in the name of gender. DeWine signed an executive order late last week that basically does the same thing the bill would have done. This will ensure that surgeries of this type on minors could never happen in Ohio. I know that's been one of the concerns that has been expressed. Uh, I've never uh, disagreed with that. Um, if we look at uh, what evidence there is, there is very little that that is occurring, but let's make sure. In Iowa, the caucuses are a week from tonight, and candidates are crisscrossing the state at a breakneck pace. Well, some of them anyway. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was all over the state the past few days, campaigning with Congressman Chip Roy and Thomas Massey. The latter brought the heat on Donald Trump. We needed a president, frankly, under Trump, which he wouldn't do it. When he pat we, we sent him an omnibus bill. Look, he, he says he could have today, or he said he could have negotiated the Civil War, okay? He couldn't even negotiate a wall with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell in charge. And, and, and listen, the, um, when he signed that omnibus bill, and he said, I'll never sign another one that doesn't have the wall funding in it. But it's like, when you tell kids your bedtime is eight, and you let them stay up till midnight every night for three weeks, they are never going to bed at eight. When he said, I'll never sign another one of these, but I'm signing this one, he ended up signing 12 more. At one of his events in Iowa over the weekend, Donald Trump says he plans to caucus despite the fact that he's a Florida resident. In some nice location, we have a lot of people, and I'm going to be, I'm going to caucus, okay? I'm going to caucus. That's how important it is. Uh, if you're a first-time caucus goer, you can learn how to caucus, and I'm going to have to learn too, by the way. I haven't done this before. Nikki Haley continues to put her foot in her mouth, telling a local PBS station. But look, the structure of it is really pretty amazing, that Iowa starts it. You change personalities, you go into New Hampshire, and they continue it on. And by the time it gets to South Carolina, it gets bigger going into Super Tuesday. You have to change personalities after Iowa, she says. Yikes. Again, the first in the nation Iowa caucuses are a week from tonight. The preliminary forecast for many parts of the state calls for a high around zero degrees that day, falling to below zero temperatures as the night falls. Today in history, January 8th, 1956, 67 years ago was the date five missionaries to the Alca Indians of Ecuador were martyred just days after making first contact with that people group. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian were slaughtered by the Alca, whom they had tried for months to reach with the message of the gospel. But that wasn't the end of the story. The deaths of the men galvanized missionary efforts in the United States, sparking an outpouring of funding for evangelism efforts around the world. The work is still frequently remembered in Christian publications and in 2006 was the subject of a major motion picture, The End of the Spear. Several years after the death of the men, the widow of Jim Elliott, Elizabeth, and the sister of Nate Saint, Rachel, returned to Ecuador as missionaries with the Summer Institutes of Linguistics to live among the Alca, some of whom had killed their husband and brother respectively. This eventually led to the Christian conversion of many of those Indians, including some of those involved in the killing. And that's what happened while we were away. We're going to add a regular feature to the montage here, as you just saw Aaron debut it throughout the course of uh, this year. Kind of a, a, you know, today in history, there's nothing new under the sun. And depending on the day, depending on the day. But, but here's what, what you get out of the very first one there. Suffering 
led to righteousness. Suffering led to righteousness. I saw a tweet from you this morning, Todd. You were listening to a radio show. Mm -hmm. And a grown man host was exhibiting excitement for what now? It, it wasn't a host. Just a guy actually called in the show. This is why it's even to just talk about this, okay. not the actual game. This was all excited about not the actual the college football video game coming out, but the trailer for it apparently is coming out and just was like giddy like he was five years old at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, see, the idea of suffering leading to righteousness is just a foreign concept in our day and age where the seeking of convenience and comfort um, and then affirmation would be the only thing we seek more. Um, those three things being the, the leading impulses and drives of the average American, regardless of socioeconomic status or any other marker. Um, that's why we don't see a lot of righteousness in our, yep. in our culture today. You are, you are never going to introduce righteousness into any situation without any suffering. Hear that word. In fact, what's today? The eighth? Yeah. What is the what's this the third if, if if they continue to let us permit continue to permit us to do this? Two hundred and forty shows we're doing this year. So we would have technically two hundred and thirty seven to go. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna call the shot right now. This wasn't even on my docket to address. So just gonna say that this is ins inspiration. I will say nothing the rest of this year more important than what you just heard. Nothing. In fact, at this point, every other show we do the rest of the year is a point of diminishing returns because you will not hear anything more important from me than what you just heard a minute ago. Anytime you stand for righteousness in a situation, there will have to be suffering. There can be no righteousness without suffering. Cross is the ultimate example of this, but it's not the only one. And the reality is we're not willing to suffer a lot for what we believe. We're not willing to take a lot of risks. Case in point, Mr. Biblical Worldview, Speaker Mike Johnson. I don't know what worldview that is, but actually I do. It's the exact worldview that destroyed the religious right. It, it's why the Christian right has no impact really on American politics. It, it sells out venues. Doesn't generate any influence. When I was on the cruise campaign, we worked tirelessly to align all of these groups together behind a candidate for the first time. And they, they did with the, with a couple of exceptions, my buddy, Bob Vanderplatz, that's why we're buddies. I, he could actually move numbers. That's how I got to know and respect them. American Family Association is another one with the Wildmans. The rest of them, I wouldn't give them any money. Just telling you straight up, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. I mean, I, I watched Tony Perkins and Family a Family Research Council unable to win his own state of Louisiana for us in the, in the 2016 primary. So these things, it's just not a serious movement. And it's because in the end... In the end, the Christian conservative movement ended up doing exactly what Thomas Massey described Trump was doing. 
just sold out every time for a seat at the table. We can't ever, there's never to be a line in the sand. There's never to be a red line. There's never to be a place that we cannot go. You know what's funny is a biblical worldview, the first time it's introduced into the world, God writes 10 statements on two stone tablets. Are they called suggestions? They are not. Are they called strongly, strong encouragements? No. Are they called until it gets hard? Do this until it's hard. Is that what they're called? Absolutely not. Do they, how many commas are in those sentences, by the way? None. Zero. Zero. Not. Are they declarative in nature? Yes. What are they called? Commandments. Commandments. Don't do this. You're not allowed to do this, red line. You're not allowed to do that, 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 red line. Ten of them. Ten of them. No exceptions. No, well, what if the other team has the advantage? What, well, what if I'm not popular? What if we don't have the votes? Nope. Can't do it. Maybe Mike Johnson should go home to his wife and say, you know, I was going to be faithful to you, but I tried. But the other chick at work, you know, this new page I just hired, she's just hotter than you. But I gave it my best. You just didn't have the numbers. Why not? Why not? That's not a biblical worldview. That's just the same hacktastic worldview that has destroyed whatever movement we once had and is in the process of allowing the enemy of destroying this country. That's what that is. Mike Johnson's not any different than the hacks who lined up to say, it, it doesn't matter that Mitt Romney signed Romney Care into law that funded abortions and shut down Catholic charities because he didn't, they didn't want to do gay adoptions. He's the lesser of two evils and electable and he can win. This pukish humanism, utilitarianism, which is a pagan philosophy, by the way, out of a, out of, out of a demonic doctrine called Malthusian ethics, I got an email from a guy the other day asking me whether he should leave, whether he should leave a church. And he had, he had four eloquent paragraphs, but he buried the lead. The last paragraph, there's no elders or deacons here. You buried the lead. Start with that and get out. No accountability? Because, you know, that's in the scriptures. No pastoral accountability. Everybody is kind of off doing their own thing. Nobody's accountable. Just kind of game theorying it out. Nope. Get out. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but all the dumbest decisions I've made in my life, and man, I have made some doozies. I've tried throwing my career away. I tried throwing my marriage away. I have made some doozies of mistakes. And you know what? I look back on it now, and they all had the same thing in common. I took God's commands and I made them suggestions. I made them strategies. I made them encouragements. I made them, I, I, I did my best. Or it's too hard. Every time. Weird how that works, isn't it? Weird. Weird how when I did what I thought was right, when I was wise in my own eyes and didn't listen to the only undefeated, most powerful being in all of the cosmos, it didn't work out as well as when I did. That's just... It's a mind scrambler. He 
He's just another Mike Pence. That's, that's great, man. That's great that he's counting how much porn he's watching with his kid. Make sure his kid doesn't get caught in as, as a kid from the firstborn generation of the porn culture fighting that battle for 40 years now. I'm completely sympathetic to it. But this is the classic, you're personally pious and no threat to the enemy at all. None. Because you've, ter- you've taken your morality and just made it a piety. Mike Pence and Mike Johnson might as well be monks. Off on a monastery. Completely devoid of civilization. And they're every bit as effective culturally as they are. Yet the fact while being in the middle of civilization. Because when you take the character and integrity that God gives you, and then you take it out into the world, that is where we get righteousness. When we act on our faith. And Abraham believed. Abraham had faith and it was credited to him righteousness. Instead, what these guys do is they practice a very personal piety. And then they're another P word in public, if you know what I'm saying, money. I think a lot of you are picking up what I'm letting down. No threat to the enemy at all. None. The enemy has two goals. With every human being that's ever been born. To stop you from getting to heaven. And to stop you from showing heaven to other people. Period. Those are the mission objectives of the devil for thousands of years. Prime directives right there. Stop you from getting to heaven and stop you from showing heaven to other people. Couldn't stop Mike Johnson and Mike Pence from getting to heaven, but he sure as heck has stopped them from showing heaven to other people. And he's they're both and both these kinds of guys, when they get into leadership, give us hell instead. We got to cut the deal. That's in the Bible. Cut the deal. Which brings us to Mike DeWine. A lot of this going around. Yes. These, these men who are really males, males who reproduce, not men, not men. They are legion, legion in our pulpits, legion in our public offices, legion in our patriarchies, legion. Assault that has lost its savor. It's of no use to anybody except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. No threat in a battle whatsoever, but they are a threat to those of us who are willing to wage the battle. They will threaten us. Now, if you're shocked Mike DeWine sold you out on gender mutilation. Apparently the last three years of his leadership in Ohio was just, you were asleep that entire time. Now, because this is one of the few issues as a movement that we are actually behaving as one, we actually got him, as Aaron pointed out to you, to give some sort of haphazard executive order, but that's not good enough. His veto should still be overridden. Any other previous generation of Americans would have impeached him for this. But we're not every other previous generation. And because of that, we might be the last one. 
Our theme this year is dominion. Take control of what you control. Who controls executing the laws of the state of Ohio? Who controls that? Last I checked, it should be the governor. The governor does. Who controls the chamber of the federal government where all appropriations begin? That should once again be the Speaker of the House. That would be Mike Johnson, right? Who controlled the coronavirus task force? That would have been uh, the vice president at the time, Mike Pence. Yeah. Noticing a pattern here? Yeah. If the men in charge will not take the dominion given to them and use it righteously, it will still be used. It will not go vacant. Nature abhors a vacuum. Something else will come and fill it. Starting with their own cowardice. All Mike Johnson did was codify what Kevin McCarthy was doing. That's it. And in many respects, it's worse. Because do you know where Mike Johnson was last week? Take a guess. Take a guess. Where do you think Mike Johnson was last week? Do you know? Oh, the border. That's, went, right. That's, yeah, right. that's right. I was, Mike yeah. Johnson went to go see the invasion yeah. at the southern border for himself. And there's the a f- video yeah. of an illegal crossing into our country. Right as he is down there. That's right. On um, Yes. He went to see it for himself. I believe Peter's words are, we're quoting a biblical worldview here, it is better to not know the law of God at all than to know it and not do it. Correct? Isn't mm-hmm. that a paraphrase of, one of, uh, yes. one of the verses in one of his epistles, I believe? Mike Johnson as speaker doesn't represent any form of a biblical worldview in any book of the Bible I have ever read. If we're talking about the good parts, he is emblematic of lots of things in a biblical worldview that are the bad parts not to do. And he's not alone. Well, Steve, he was a great attorney for ADF. Should have stayed there then. That was his calling. This ain't it. This is a failure. He has betrayed the country. Nothing less than that. Nothing less. He went and looked at the, at least Kamala was dumb enough to not even go look. All right. He went to look. He's worse. He went to look. He saw the invasion happening for himself, for himself. And then came back and said, well, we got to fund the government anyway. Got to fund the government that's permitting all this. That comes first. Leviathan comes before you. Hope your kid doesn't die of fentanyl. It's worse. What was the entire Matt Gates speaker gambit about? Now that we've watched it play out. Nothing. Other than in the end, I don't know, Matt Gates have no idea about his sincerity. Don't know. What I do know, though, is I just look at the fruit. The only positive fruit that came out of that was PR for Matt Gates and the clicks that will live on forever that he generated. Only time I've ever seen Matt Gates's personal podcast, and you know he had one, did you? Only time I've ever seen it in the top 200 at, at iTunes was when this was going on. Huh, weird how that works. Nothing. We got nothing out of it. Nothing. We just got Kevin McCarthy with Bible verses. We were better off with McCarthy. At least we can blame the technocrat for this. Now we just told the country, this is what a biblical worldview is. Sells you out. 
Can't imagine why they might not want that any more than they already don't. What are we doing here? But it's okay. It's okay because Mike Johnson, Mike DeWine, these guys have all endorsed Trump for president. They, they put the, the elephant uh, blood on the door. So the, the angel of accountability will pass over. And they have, they have been reconciled. What are we doing here? I'll tell you what we're doing here. We are losing the greatest country God's ever permitted in the history of this fallen creation. And we're losing it in real time. And we're not losing it because of foreign invaders, because there's a superior culture, like other great nations before us have lost their mantles. No, we're losing it for the worst and dumbest reason of them all. We can't be bothered. We're not willing to suffer for anything. Nothing. That's why. And that's how we lose to people. Did you even understand what Joe... I, I will just take for granted that is what Joe Biden said in that clip. I, I, I don't know what he said. Do, do you know? No. I, I, I'll just trust you, Aaron, that that is what he said. I, I literally could not understand a word. I, I mean, I could not. Do you think it might be important to know if the Secretary of Defense is in ICU or not? I'm sure our enemies didn't notice that no one was told about this. But we've been getting our ass kicked by these people for the last several years. Yes. Why? Talking about the man in the mirror. That's why. Well, we all know traditional media is crumbling because people realize they're being lied to left and right all of the time. Even by the institutions for many years, they thought they could trust. That's why if you are a truth pursuer, that's probably why you're tuned in or you're just a glutton for punishment. Uh, but that's also why you want to get started uh, with our friends at uh, preparewithdace.com, my Patriot Supply. There you're going to save $200 on an essential three-month emergency food kit from my Patriot Supply over the years. They have helped millions of American families prepare for emergencies. Yours could be next. Uh, sealed inside ultra-durable packaging, these delicious meals last up to 25 years in storage, provide over 2,000-plus calories per day. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. The three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply with $200 in savings. Get enough for each family member. Go to preparewithdace.com, and if you order by 3 p.m., you get free same-day shipping. Preparewithdace.com is where you want to go. Well over a dozen dips different types of meals and sides. So lots of opportunities to mix and match for variety as well. And save 200 bucks at preparewithdace.com. That's preparewithdace.com. Let's welcome in for the first time here in 2024, our good friend Bobby Interplatz. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So one week from today... We will uh, have the, the Iowa caucuses. The first official votes will be cast in the 2024 election. And um, I, I, I screwed up 
and didn't realize that my AccuWeather forecast thing was set to Celsius and not Fahrenheit. So it's not going to quite be as cold as I originally said, but it's, it ain't going to be warm. All right. So if the the three biggest population centers in the state, uh, the Sioux City area, the Cedar Rapids area, the Des Moines area, uh, Des Moines right now, uh, that night uh, is looking at around caucus time. What I saw was about uh, minus three. Cedar Rapids was looking at about minus two, minus three. Sioux City was looking at about minus five. So let's start there. I mean, Iowans, if you live here, you're used to wintertime, right? Yeah. So how much of an impact do you think that's going to have next Monday? I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact. Um, the candidates, the media, the, the surrogates have all been warning Iowans, hey, this could be a brutal night. You know, we've been, we were saying that in July already, that, you know, middle of January is not probably going to be balmy. And once you get below zero, I mean, who cares how far you go, right? It's going to be cold. And the wind, you factor the wind in. I think the big thing, Steve, is going to be what's happening here today right now. And that's the snowstorm coming in. Because if that leaves a remnant of ice, a lot of times more of your elderly voters, that that will hold them back. Cold, they'll go out in the cold. They'll put a mask on, a, whatever they need to do. But they'll get out in the cold. If there's ice, that could be an issue. But, you know, we've been through these caucus processes before. I don't ever remember a great night, a balmy night on a caucus. So I think people are going to turn out. You've been on the campaign trail. Actually, let me go back to what you just said. Let's describe what you mean when you say people are going to turn out. Do you think we're going to surpass the 180, right around, it was right under 187,000. That was the all-time record in 2016. Do you think we will surpass that? I do not. No, I think think we'd be very good if we matched that record. I don't see us going way north of that, Uh, especially now that January 15 is going to be, as we talked about, a cold night. You got a snowstorm coming in. That snow's going to stay around. But um, what would I say about turning out? If you're planning on caucusing, I don't think zero degrees or five below is going to keep you from caucusing. I think you have a reason to caucus. You're going to go out and caucus. Uh, I think the bad weather does give an advantage to the person with the best organization. That happens to be Ron DeSantis or the candidate with the most emotion for people to get out. And that'd be, say, a Donald Trump. You got to have my back now. You got to flood these caucuses. So I'll be very interested to see what does the weather do to, say, a Trump voter versus, say, a Nikki Haley voter versus a Ron DeSantis voter. You've had a chance to get out on the campaign trail a couple times here in the, since you, you and I at last talked here on the show. And I lamented pretty much until Governor Reynolds' endorsement in October that it just didn't even feel like a caucus cycle was even mm-hmm. happening here. I mean, the energy on the ground was pretty dead. People have asked me why. I, I, I think there's two factors. Uh, one is a meta factor, a macro factor. Uh, Republican energy around the country all of last year was down. Mm-hmm. All of last year was down. And I mean, I, I even saw, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, um, my uh, publisher, Post Hill Press, sent me uh, over the holidays the uh, the book scan numbers for conservative books. And Rise of the Fourth Reich was one of the top 10 selling books of last year. Fauci and Bargain was in the top three back in 2021. Mm. If you just look at the overall numbers of units sold, it was down from where it is yep. in the as well. So there is an overall righty malaise. And that was reflected in all of this, the, the cumulative special and off-year elections we had last year. You saw this. Okay. So that's part of it. Uh, That energy on the right is down, number one. Uh, But then number two, I also think the polling PSYOP, and funny now how we're getting down the stretch and there's not been any more polls. I don't think there's been a poll of Iowa in like 18 days, I think I saw. Funny how that works. Anyway, um, the, uh, the polling PSYOP that we saw all summer long, I think a lot of people 
that were interested in not having Trump as the nominee kind of almost were, were, it became like a fait accompli, almost like, like a resignation. Foregone conclusion. Yeah, so what's the point of any of right. this? And I think that's why I think the governor's endorsement when it happened mattered greatly because I think it did kind of give people permission for the first time to actually have a caucus process. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're getting down to the nitty gritty and you've been on the trail, what are you seeing? And then compare it to what you've seen in previous cycles. Well, I think a couple things. One is, uh, to your point, I think there's been an exhaustion and a fatigue because instead of being tired of winning, there's really an exhaustion of losing right now. They, they want to know. And does, the does, melodrama. Yeah. The worst does, of both worlds. You yeah. get the soap opera and right. the L. And, and, and does my vote actually make a difference? Does it actually count? And then you throw a former president in the coxes. I've told the reporters all day today and um, – just recently is that when you have a former president in the Iowa caucuses, it becomes an atypical caucus right now because Trump is kind of the de facto incumbent right now. And so you're trying to see, is there a mood, is there an appetite for an alternative? I've always said if Iowa does its job and does does its job well, they will give America a choice, either Trump or a clear alternative. And now America gets to make its choice. Not saying that they're going to go with a clear alternative, but America gets to make its choice. What I'm seeing, and I just said this to uh, Meredith at Political uh, right before coming in here, is that Iowans are notorious for breaking late. What I've seen in these caucuses, like you said, Steve, it's like they're not happening, they're not happening, they're not happening. All of a sudden, after the first of the year, and I'm starting to see these events, I'm like, no, they're happening. And people are taking an interest right now. And so not only are Iowans going to break late, I believe, this cycle, they're going to break very, very, very late. And that's why Trump has been in here now, I think, about eight times. DeSantis isn't leaving. Nikki's not leaving. Vivek's not leaving. They're, they're working on that final close of the sale of the Iowa caucus voter. So over the weekend, uh, there was a report that the DeSantis campaign is claiming they have about 60,000 caucus commitment cards for next Monday. Um, I want to say on the cruise campaign, our number was around 30,000 is what we had in the final mm-hmm. week or two leading up. Uh, and then overperformed that by roughly 30%, I think, when we had the uh, actual vote. You're not going to get 100% of those people to show up. That's that's human nature. Yeah. All right. The, the only place where you get 100% with complete efficiency is Democrat strongholds, counting Democrat voters with only Democrat accountability, as we saw in the last election. All right. Everywhere else, there's going to be inefficiencies sure. there. All right. Let's let's say they could they could get seventy percent of those people to honor. Forty two thousand. That's forty two. Do you think do you think that's a fair number for me to even assume for the sake of this conversation? If, if they could get seventy yeah. percent of those if they're people. They're saying sixty thousand and they got seventy percent and it's forty two thousand. That's the fourth highest vote total in the history of the Iowa caucus. Uh, I'm just telling you, when I saw those numbers uh of the sixty thousand number, I thought if he comes anywhere close to that, because this isn't counting the organic people coming in late right. going, I'm voting DeSantis, or the people get moved in the Iowa caucuses by a speech going, I'm voting DeSantis. If he gets anywhere close to that number, it's hard for me to say that he doesn't win the Iowa caucuses. And because that's a big number. And then you think of any organic stuff that would be happening, that means the DeSantis camp would be flooding the caucus. And to me, that would shock the country, shock the world if that took place. How legit do you think those numbers are? Well, I think, I mean, here's what I can go by. Okay, and this is just anecdotal, but it's, it's real. Um, my wife, Darla, I'm never home, but my wife, Darla, is. She goes, now our door has been knocked five times by a DeSantis door knocker. 
None by Trump, none by Nikki, none by Vivek. But it's not just Darla. It is several people telling me I had another DeSantis door knocker. I, I got into a conversation with them. So they are on the ground and they are working it. What I told you, Steve, after I endorsed Governor DeSantis and they uh, gave me a preview into, you know, what, what does the organization look like? Uh, it is the best by far I've ever seen. And Ted Cruz's, as you, as you well know, mm -hmm. was outstanding. But this is like light years ahead. Now, it probably should be because it's eight years later. But I don't see any other campaign, Trump, Nikki, or Vivek, that has that type of organization on the ground. And on a typical caucus night, best organization wins. One little birdie I have who's gone all over the state following the candidates, his read is that um, the Trump energy is nowhere near where it was in 2016. We're not, we're not filling stadiums and stuff anymore. We're kind of filling you and there's know, no signs. concert halls and stuff like that. But the size of his crowds are still noticeably bigger than what other people are generating. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought goes to, um, I remember a guy by the name of Fred Thompson who ran in the Iowa caucuses and he was a Hollywood, his crowds were big, but it never materialized. Mm -hmm. Uh, Giuliani being America's now mate. in fairness though nobody had ever voted for Fred Thompson for president before yep. many of the people that are going sure. to these events have voted for Donald Trump but, for but president Donald before Trump, you and I have yeah, yeah. Donald Trump is still a rock star I mm -hmm. mean if he shows up in your community you probably want to go see him you want to see what is he going to say so the crowd size uh, yeah that's good uh, there's no in other words, because of the celebrity factor of Donald Trump, yep. anywhere he goes in Iowa, there's going to be an embellishment of that to sure. some degree, just a curiosity factor of nothing and, else. And, and the people, Steve, I think this goes to advantage Trump. Uh, the people that are in for Trump are in to have his back primarily. The election got stolen. They're weaponizing government against you. That's why the indictments became like a super PAC for him. Mm -hmm. That's why he's volunteering to be at court right now, I believe, because the split screen's going to show him at court. Gives more motivation to his voters to say, I'm going to go out. But his voters have also been where, like, if he tells us to do something, we're going to do it. And so if he says, you know, I need you to caucus, my guess is they're going to show up to caucus. DeSantis has got an organization saying we are going to work like crazy to get everybody out to the caucus. That's why the turnout game to me is so interesting. Because you look back at 2016, who was supposed to bring all the new voters to the caucuses? Mm -hmm. That was Trump. Mm -hmm. What you saw is you saw 50,000 new evangelicals flood the Iowa caucuses, and they went primarily to Cruz, some to Trump, and some to Rubio. Austin Cruz wins the Iowa caucuses. So I'll be very interested in who does or what is the caucus makeup uh, when we evaluate on January 16th? Tomorrow on the show, we're going it, to, it's being, it's called something else for simplicity's sake, but it's really more of a modeling simulation, right? Hmm. Tomorrow on the show, we are going to feature a, uh, a Florida tech entrepreneur uh, who has run the first AI generated model, public model simulation that we've, that we've seen. Okay, and so while there has not been a lot of these bad boys here on the on the jar for the last 18 days, and I think I owe 10 bucks because I mentioned the word mm. a minute ago, while there have not been a lot of those, um, this simulation was ran yesterday, and it uses both traditional opt-in methods, um, but it also is an AI that sur that is surveying a lot of the the social media postings and habits of Iowans who have publicly indicated that they are going to vote. 
And I'll let Robert Salvador, who's behind this project, he'll talk more about the specifics tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The thing that stood out to me that I immediately kind of went, eh, when I saw, now this was their beta test, essentially. The formal final version is, it will be released on the 14th, okay? Um, and so what this is, what this AI is doing is not necessarily a snapshot, it's running a forecast. Like based on what we see demographically, pe what people are posting, trends, et cetera, okay? If the election were today, this is what the AI thinks would happen okay the thing that stood out to me is that this ai forecasted 50 percent of the vote could be independence now i originally thought no way to that when i saw it firsthand then i went and looked at 2016 and i found that it was 21 percent that's a pretty significant number. It is significant. All right, that 21%, you, you can be an independent and vote in the caucuses, but you have to register a Republican at the venue, which is what I do. I'm a mm -hmm. registered independent except on a caucus night. So 21, I can't see it more than doubling, but it was 21 in a year that the Democrats had a competitive caucus too, right? You know, so that, that is what stood out to me is I still think it's too high. But could we see more than 30% of the caucus be independents, do you think? You know, I had a party operative who was in my office over the weekend, and he was talking to me, about, and he really believes that there's going to be a large number of independents flooding the Iowa caucuses, and he goes, even Democrats. He goes, quite frankly, some of them are going to be Nikki Haley supporters, some of them are going to be the, the, the Trump supporters, and some of them are going to be, I want just an alternative to Trump. So it could be a way that they're going to try to, to flood the caucuses. The thing is, Steve, when I looked at that AI, because I saw your uh, tweet about it, and I took a look at the, the numbers, the forecast. I, and again, I don't know all the modeling. I'd be very interested to visit with Robert about that. However, his conclusions, where the forecasts are right now, match way more according to what my pulse would be. You know, 40, low 40s for Trump, 30 to upper 30s for DeSantis, Nikki being in the teens someplace. To me, that's kind of a pulse of what I'm seeing out there. Uh, and he also saw that the DeSantis trend line is going up. Trump's trend line is going down. Nikki's trend line is going down. Now, I don't want to just buy, you know, somebody's narrative either about this is what you want to have happen. But I thought that is way closer to the pulse. Because right now, if I ran into just a typical caucus voter, Every other one of them have to say I'm voting for Trump. That's not happening today. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very interested on the turnout. I'm very interested on, on all these breakdowns. Uh, we've put a lot of energy in these caucuses. Iowans always do. They're very wise. They're very savvy. I'm very interested in a week from tonight. What's the biggest X factor? We've got less than a minute here. What's the biggest X factor these last seven days, do you think? It could be the weather. And the weather meaning, uh, you, you if DeSantis is on the increase, if he's on the meaning income, not the cold, but if there's another snowstorm, for uh, and there's, I mean, it just impacts. You know how far, how much can you fly around the state? How much can you drive around the state? Trying to make that final sale, people. As you know, Iowans are into retail politics. For example, they, Mike Huckabee was going to come up here to campaign for Trump, and now he's not because yeah. of the weather. So yeah. it works both ways. Sarah Sanders isn't coming. Mike Huckabee's not coming. It's going to probably crimp uh, the schedule of the DeSantis. But again, then it goes to your organization. That's your call machine. That's mm -hmm. your email machine, your text machine. So we'll see what happens. But I think the weather's the X factor. But I think the biggest thing to look for on Cox Night is who outperformed expectations. And I think there's one candidate set up to outperform expectations. I don't think the others will do it. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Good to see you. All right. We got like 30 seconds here. 
you guys want to anybody have a comment on what they just heard from Bob Todd and Aaron before we uh, this is where I, I've been maintaining all along that the polling psyop whether it's intentional or not specifically as it pertains to Iowa this is where it could actually kind of cut the opposite direction of its intense uh, or I intended purpose whereas you, you got a lot of let's just face it elderly supporters of Donald Trump saying hey he's gonna win anyway I don't want to go brave the cold go brave the ice he's up by 50 points he's up by 50 points that yeah. could cut the opposite direction of its intended purpose all right, good stuff. We'll come back and uh, talk more about this topic and more next. Here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think. Do that by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you listen to the podcast version of the show, thank you for that. Please leave us a five-star review if you're yet to do that. Hit subscribe, or if you're on iTunes, follow. That way, every time we do a new episode, it shows up in your feed every single time. Thank you to those of you that have done that for us as well. Thank you to our friends over at Preborn, and thank you to all of you that helped us support them last year, uh, raising money for the cause of life. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. That's incredible. So thank you to all of you who made this possible. Let's celebrate those precious babies. When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, for example, she was in a bad place. She didn't know how she could raise a child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic and God led her to preborn instead. And that's where she met her baby with an ultrasound. When she saw her baby, heard the heartbeat, she broke down crying and the nurse reminded her that babies are blessings from God. So she chose life and that daughter's name is Treasure. What a cool name, because she is a gift from God. Daisy and her husband, they decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard that heartbeat, their hearts melted. They chose life. Her baby is Jeffrey. He's healthy. Beautiful. Daisy and her, and her husband not, now cannot even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous. And every day, Preborn celebrates up to 200 of these miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and death of a human child. That's the cost of that ultrasound. Let's join together, help more mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, and that's pound 250, keyword baby, or visit preborn.com slash Steve. That's what our family does when we donate to preborn. Preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that is preborn.com slash Steve. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Florida governor, Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis will be joining us. Until then, though, we're going to do a little bit of a twist on our normal Monday Ask Me Anything. I thought for this week we'd do something fun and hopefully also informative that's Iowa caucus related. Todd, I've asked you to come up with a, a series of questions that you think might be uh, the audience might be interested to know. These can be both anecdotal. I've got, you know, I've, I've been involved in the caucuses going back to the 1995 straw poll. I've done everything from usher people to seats at the straw poll to actually, you know, trying to win 
uh, an Iowa straw poll. <laughs> okay, so I've done it all that you can, other than being a candidate, there's not much more in the Iowa caucuses that you can do that I've not been a part of in the last going on 30 years. So that was another $10 to preborn, by the way. Oh, so I know, oh, 20. Yep. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I owe 10 as well. Yep. So there's 30 more of this, uh, in the jar there. So um, these, these questions can be both anecdotal, but then also analytical, right? So the floor is yours. I've not seen these questions yet. Let's let her rip. All right. Uh, an in-house edition of Ask Dace Anything begins with this from Todd. Why did you tell Ted Cruz to steal poor Ben Carson's <laughs> oh, votes? Oh, we're going to lead off with this, are we? Are we going to lead off I'm, with this, really? I'm going to get nuts. Let's get nuts. I, I really I, I admire the heck out of Ben Carson. Enjoyed getting to know him. He was never a serious candidate in Iowa. I mean, he, he did he did like four more events that weren't book signings than I did, and I was not a candidate either. I'll, I'll tell you this. And still, you stole his votes. Yeah, it, I'll, yes, I'll tell you this. Um, there were two campaign, three campaigns in the 2016 cycle, three campaigns hired to run their Iowa caucus operation, exactly whom I recommended. Donald Trump did. Uh... Ted Cruz obviously did, uh, and Ben Carson did. And uh, my buddy who ran Carson's campaign, I don't think I've ever said, I think I've told you guys this off the air. I've never said this on the air before, and he's probably going to listen to this. He's going he's he's to come at me later for, for pointing this out, but it's, years have gone by now, so it's okay. Carson was in our state. I mean, my buddy had a great idea. This was ingenious. Carson was in our state during that cycle campaigning so infrequently that my buddy went out and got a bus that looked like a Ben Carson camp and had it, you know, done up like a Ben Carson campaign bus and literally just drove it around Iowa to so that people would think that Ben Carson was in the state the whole time. And he wasn't. He was almost never here. Almost never here. It's an ingenious idea, right? <clears throat> driving down I-80, driving down on I-35, right? Hey, look, 435, there, there's Ben Carson again. No, no, that was probably my buddy driving that bus instead. It wasn't ben. ben Carson was almost like never on it. All right. So thank you for beginning. I thought this was ask Dace anything, not provoke Dace to, to PTSD live on the air. We're starting with this, are we? Oh, yes. Yeah. I don't need to go. Do I need to go through that again? Hasn't this audience suffered through my trail of you tears where that is concerned we'll enough? see where this goes. Like when I texted Ted before the New Hampshire debate, you know, there was that one debate in New Hampshire, the Saturday before the primary. And I was not on debate prep for this debate. So I'm at home and the kids are all excited. They're going to sit down and watch the debate with their dad for the first time, you know? So we're all assembled there, cold of winter, getting ready for the New Hampshire debate on a Saturday night. And I text Ted right before the debate. I said, please, for the love of God. Do not apologize to Ben Carson again. And when they asked you about stealing the election from Ben Carson, look at Ben Carson and say, you know, Ben, I do apologize. I apologize to all of the voters and activists that you fooled by making them think you were a legitimate candidate and you never campaigned in Iowa. And that's why you got your ass kicked. And I said, that's what Trump would do. So that's what we should do. First question of that debate. Very first question. Was basically, how did you, why did you steal the caucuses? And, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't believe when Ted turned to Ben Carson and apologized again 
And the TV remote, I threw it so hard at the TV, it almost went through the screen. I, I, to this day, it's a miracle that it bounced off. And you guys have seen, uh, you guys have gotten to know my oldest daughter, Anastasia, enough to know. She's got those big, pretty brown eyes. And when she senses something's about up, they get all big. So she's sitting over there on the couch. Those brown eyes were like, and she looked at her little brother and sister. Hey, guys, let's go find something else to do. (laughs) I mean, I just, I was incredulous. I, I couldn't believe it. We're still apart. We, we yeah, I, I remember. Can, can I tell this story as well? Bet, this is yeah. my recollection of the day after the Iowa caucuses. We were still on Salem Radio Network. We had the eight to eleven Central Time uh, time slot at, at night. At night, yeah, yeah, at night. So we decided. Actually, Steve decided. Hey, let's let's do this this way. This uh, this time, we're going to tape that show so we can kind of have the evening off with our families. And so we were in here about maybe eleven a.m. noon the day after the Iowa caucuses. And I'm sitting in this room just left over here, which used to be the control room for the radio show. And I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see Ted Cruz apologizing or at least the campaign equivocating. And I look out there and you're still like you're on cloud nine. You're still pumped. You had not seen the news yet. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is he not flying into a fit of rage? You had not. And we went through the entire taping of the show. You still had not seen that news, I don't think. Right. You were still in a great mood after the show. And I don't think it was until you got home that you had seen what had actually happened. It we, was just before, beyond belief. Before we did the merger, because we were we were on Salem and CRTV at the time. So before CRTV merged with the Blaze to form Blaze Media as it is now. Um. We did an event before the South Carolina primary. So now we're like a full month past Iowa now, almost, okay? We did, a, we did an event at, at, for the South Carolina primary because one of the corporate offices for CRTV was in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we, had, we had the remaining candidates come. Just to show you that Ben Carson was not a serious candidate, the first candidate that showed up at that event in South Carolina was Ben Carson. He got there before we did on the CRTV crew. He was already there. Just hanging out, eating lunch. I mean, he's not campaigning, guys. He's, he spent hours there. Hours just hanging out in the green room, waiting to talk. He wasn't even, he was just a, never a serious candidate. Never. And I hear, I hear my boss in, often, that is I, I'm, I'm coming off the stage now. I just got done speaking. And I hear my boss, in the, you know, Ted Cruz in the back. Well, one of my bosses, Ted Cruz in the background. You know, like, where is he? He's, he was literally in a broom closet apologizing to Ben Carson again. And I, 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 almost did the pen, I almost did the Joker pencil trick on myself right there. So thank you for... We have 20 more minutes of this. Please tell me, the, does, re- please tell me the rest of these are not as traumatic as that very first question was. What does Ted was. Cruz think he was apologizing for? I... I I, See, this is what people don't... You, what it, actually happened? What, what happened is Ted Cruz is not the ruthless technocrat that you think. Ted is actually a regular dude. He likes sports, sci-fi, okay? And I, I really think just as... I thought that... I think he believed that, you know, he had like a Christian obligation to try to heal this rift with Ben Carson. Even though there was the whole thing stemmed from Steve King, still a congressman at the time, was watching CNN and Dana Bash and Jake Tapper 
said that it looks like Ben Carson's dropping out. He's leaving Iowa tonight to go back to Florida, not even going to New Hampshire. Well, Steve King sees this, sends out a massive group text to a bunch of us. Here's the thing, though. In a lot of the buildings that we were in, you weren't going to be able to get text and stuff in there. School buildings and stuff like that. You weren't going to be able to. A lot, most people never even saw King's text. I was one of the precinct captains. I didn't even get King's text until after the caucuses were over. I got out of the venue so I could get my, my, my service back and saw that he had sent this text out saying, hey, if you get a chance, mention it the thing that looks like Carson's dropping out. You want your vote, people want their vote to count. Pretty common thing to do, actually, on caucus night. Well, it just so happened that one of the places where they did get that message was the exact caucus site that Candy Carson was at. And Ben had not told Candy Carson that he was dropping out. So I think we all, we're all married here, right? You guys know how this goes, right? When the wife finds things out. And if it's not, if the wife ain't on board, how we can instantly uh, recalibrate. You know what I'm trying to say? We've all been here, correct? Don't look sure. at me like that. No, we have no, all I'm been just... here as husbands, correct? Sure. Yeah, that's what happened here. So what should have happened is Steve King should have said the very next day, my bad, man. I'm the one that saw it, saw CNN reporting it, making it look like he was going to drop out too much, you know, on me. He never did, you know, and so it was left to the campaign to try to figure out. But they didn't have to figure anything out that he just he got like nine percent. He wasn't even a viable candidate here. So that's almost half. What did you think was going to happen when you started with this question? Fun. Okay. Because we have blown nearly half of this segment on the one of the, the the darkest moment of my entire career. Thank you. Go ahead. Mission accomplished. Go ahead. Do swings and turnout impact a caucus and a primary in the same way? No, uh, they have much more of an impact in a caucus because it's a lower turnout event. And so, whenever there's a lower turnout event, it, the swings are more dramatic. Uh, and this is why, if you go back and look at, um, I did something uh, in the last month before we went on Christmas break. I looked at the history of the, I'm going to owe another 10 bucks. I looked at the history of the final Iowa poll before the caucuses and how often, so that's 30 bucks I owe now, how often campaigns organizationally make up on game day, like double digit, you know, differences between the public perception and what the what the result is on the ground you know um and the swings are even more violent on the democratic side because they have a threshold vote they'll just cut people off you know so you know like like chris christie if he was on the democratic side whatever one or two percent of vote he has would just go to somebody else that they if he was a democrat well he is but officially they would just cut him off Vivek would be the same thing. I mean, he wouldn't be sitting there getting three, four percent. They would just say, you're, you're not viable, you know? Um, and so when you get human nature in that room and people start talking, you know, the swings are much more palatable than they are in a primary where folks are just showing up anytime that they have a moment, like any other election day, walking in on their own, pulling a curtain, pushing a button, filling out a, a certain bubble and then walking out right? There is literal horse trading that's going to go on here. People are going to hear speeches on behalf of the candidates, for example. So yeah, the swings are way more palatable uh, and volatile in a caucus than a primary. 
now on pace to donate $4,800 to Preborn this year. <laughs> uh, why won't you admit that Marco Rubio's third place finish was a bigger upset than Dewey beats Truman? Oh, good old. This was the last gasp of Roger Ailes before personal scandal brought him down later that year. Uh, the edict went out, man. Fox News just was not going to talk about us. The relationship between us and the Hannity show was so bad, we stopped putting Cruz on there because Hannity was so biased. That's funny now because Ted is on there all the time. But uh, but in my exit interview with Ted, by the way, that was my parting advice. Just get on Fox News. If you're running for president again, just get on Fox News as many times as you can. That was my big... He's, he's done that, so good for him. But um, yeah, the the here's the thing I can tell you. Absolutely edicts go out within these platforms, particularly Fox. Know it for a fact. I lived it. And you're told this, you know, by people other, otherwise that are there that are friendly to you. I can't, you know, corporate said no. They're, they are, they literally put their thumb on the scale and try to impact the process. They absolutely do it. Uh, and, and so that's why you would go back and see um, the, all the coverage on Fox News after Ted Cruz just set the record for most votes in an Iowa caucus. It was all Marco Rubio and his third place finish because uh, that's who Fox wanted at the time. And they had not made the decision to go with Trump over Cruz yet. They would they would make that decision in uh, in the early spring. They would decide that they want it when it got down to Cruz and Trump, that Trump was their preference. And, and further evidence of this is um, Fox News had me had had me on several shows in 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 2012 uh, when I was with the Gingrich campaign and I didn't join his campaign until like the last two weeks before the caucuses so they had me on several times about my newt endorsement I I mean I I endorsed Ted in August never had me on one time never mentioned me one time the only time my name got mentioned was when I made the 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 comment about uh, Carly, comparing Carly Fiorina to mm-hmm. what she was doing by playing the female card with Hillary Clinton. And then all their coverage the next day was about uh, Steve Dace in Iowa and uh, killing uh, Ted Cruz with his uh, anti-women comments and how horrible of a person I am. It got to the point that I actually called Ted and offered my resignation. But again, because he's not the ruthless technocrat you think he is, but a pretty decent person, he refused to take it. He should have taken it, actually. Next question. Next, we go to this. Do Iowans who wish 1976, uh, do Iowans wish 1976 never changed the way national views and, uh, and uses the caucus uh, have a point? And is this perhaps the last Iowa caucus? Um, I think if Trump loses on Monday, next Monday, and wins the presidency, it will absolutely be the last caucus. Short of that, I have no idea. Uh, honestly, I didn't think I thought 2016 was going to be the last one. That's um, we were already hanging by a string. The Republican governor before Kim Reynolds, her boss, Terry Branstead, hates conservatives and tried to get rid of the straw poll in the caucuses for many years so that we would stop having a voice in the process. That's one of the reasons why I leveraged every relationship I did for Ted Cruz in 2016, because I thought we had those conversations at the time. This might be the last dance. You know, let's let's leave it all on the table. And we did, and ended up winning. But um, I have no idea what will happen. I think if if Trump if Trump wins here or DeSantis wins here, um, and one of them is the nominee, then I, I think the odds that the Iowa caucuses will remain here increase exponentially. If one of those two wins and wins the presidency, very, then it also, I think, increases exponentially. But um, 
the I, I don't know. The one thing I am confident about is if Trump loses here and then wins the presidency, I absolutely believe out of spite he'll yank it away. But it won't actually break my heart. I've 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 had my fill of I've done my tour of duty with the Iowa caucuses. But overall, to the first part, there's a lot of people uh, that I talked with, especially during my time at the uh, register, and and this was. Uh, they didn't fit any particular marker, but they just hated having it, resented having it, maybe not for good reasons. On balance, pull your indiv- obviously your individual success has benefited from it having here. But mm-hmm. outside of that, on balance, has this been good or bad or neutral for Iowa? I think it has. Um, I think it's been great for the larger process to give grassroots people a, a, a say in the process. I think for many years it was terrible for Iowa politically because it created a permanent grifter class here that we had to break, frankly. People like Vanderplatz and I had to break these people. Um, a group of grifters who just existed between caucuses to sell themselves out as people who tribal chieftains that could bring people to the table and were a lot of reasons why we couldn't unite the right and get things done around here were these kinds of turf wars. And so we had to, we had to kind of break these people uh, and which I was much more in, in, keen to do than Bob, but even he had to take part in that to some degree. So we had a we had a permanent grifter class on, on the right here be, that the caucuses gave birth to that had to be smashed. Next, good what, thing that doesn't exist nationally. Who is the greatest caucus disappointment and embarrassment ever? Um, I think. F- I think Fred Thompson would be up there for sure, but it's got to be Scott Walker. I mean, it has to be. Um, you know, I go back to the first wide release book I ever wrote was Rules for Patriots, and the first draft of that book I turned in, the publisher was like, are you just endorsing Scott Walker in the caucuses now? Because like he's almost all your examples. Okay, so um, the the PR outfit that uh, that he hired good people they did pr for me um um craig shirley who's the you know best-selling reagan biographer smart guy shirley bannister i mean these are good smart people they know our base you know and he had a phenomenal resume at the time um and i don't know what consultants and stuff he hired but he just decided to run the absolute most milk toast race and he he didn't even last he was out before halloween i believe and that was a cycle that was the first without the straw polls there was that there wasn't that summer of check-in of where you were at you know he had prominent legislative endorsements i mean it was uh i i would say scott walker for sure and i thought that might be the answer Yeah. yeah wow uh, what is the tulip of the Iowa caucuses or boxes that every candidate must check if they want to earn the average Iowan's consideration? Um, the, the Looking as many Iowans in the eye as absolutely possible. I like the tulip reference there. Petruid. I don't know if I can... I, I, you're, that's good pandering to me. <laughs> I, I don't know I can come up with an acronym right on the fly, but the you got to look as many Iowans in the in the face as possible. And yes, I know the DeSantis campaign, and if, if I were formally on the campaign, I'd be doing the same thing, is criticizing Donald Trump for not doing that now, but he has done that in the past, and there is some clear residual carryover. I mean, Donald Trump worked our state pretty hard in 2015 and 2016. So... Um, 
and he's visited it several he visited it several times as president so you've got a uh, there's there are a lot of people that are going to go caucus next monday that have had an interaction with donald trump at some point so the ability to look a lot of iowans in the eye would be number one um the ability to connect with them on that level would be number two um knowing um knowing what lane you are in i would say and and that i think has been a, a a disruption in this process is you know the traditional lanes this is the establishment lane this is the evangelical lane this is the more libertarian lane those lanes kind of aren't as prevalent in this cycle as they have been in the past there are still lanes though you know, like if I will tell you this, if I were running the DeSantis campaign from day one, the stuff that he is taking on Donald Trump about right now would have been going on from day one. The problem is their super PAC kept running focus groups that kept telling him people will lose it if you do anything other than throw rose petals at Donald Trump, which to when they would tell me that I would say then just drop out of the race. I mean, why run against somebody that the voters apparently are telling you you cannot criticize? There's no path then get out. So I never bought that for a second. I, I'd have been, I, I wouldn't have gotten in, I wouldn't have, you know, gotten personal, look at his hands like Rubio. But if you're not better than him on the issues, then what are we even doing here? Why are we wasting our time? I mean, so the stuff that DeSantis and Massey and Roy were pointing out on the on the campaign yesterday, if I were in charge day one, that would have been happening from right from the, we'd have led with that. Otherwise, what's the point of being in the race if I'm not a better candidate than Trump? Because he's already an incumbent, just go with him, you know? So what's your lane is another one. Um, and, and know who are the four, know who are the right people that can actually move numbers. You know, that was the first sign that I knew that Walker was in trouble when he came here and, and didn't call me, but started getting a bunch of rhinos in the legislature to endorse him instead. Those people are just have letterhead. They can't move any numbers. Now I do think legislative endorsements matter more now than they have in the past, mainly because the legislature's moved much more to the right. It's still not as far to the right as the base is, but the legislature's way more to the right than it was any other period of time that I've been involved here. And so there's more peace between governing class Republicans and grassroots Republicans. But like when I was with Huckabee uh, or Cruz, I would have loved to be running against the guy that got all the legislative endorsements because I would just would have told our people, well, now you know who the establishment hack is. You know what I'm saying? So those are the four things that would immediately come to mind for me. Next and finally, what's the best advice you ever gave a particular candidate that they actually put to use? And what's the most mistaken advice you ever gave a candidate? I told Huckabee's campaign, I told Mike himself, face to face, and his campaign manager, Eric Wilson, great guy, face to face. If you remember, if you go back and look at that summer, Mitt Romney had bought up so much of the straw poll that a lot of the campaigns were like dropping out thinking they had no chance to compete against him. So McCain dropped out, a bunch of people dropped out. And I said, to, I was just beginning to support Huckabee and, and with, with my show. And late, this was, you know, mid to late summer. And I told them both, listen, I, this is the biggest fundraiser for the party we have. This is the this is the most this mobilizes our grassroots, which is my audience, more than any event we have. I cannot possibly support a candidate publicly that doesn't take part in this. I mean, this event is is a, is essentially an extension of my show. The people that, that dominate this event are the ones that tune into my show. I'm not going to support a candidate that didn't take part in this event. I can't do that. I would strongly urge you. I know you don't have a lot of money. All right. But at least do you have no, I told him you have no expectations either. Just show up. 
I'll bet you, and you'll overperform no matter what. They were going to drop out of the straw poll. And if Huckabee had done that, he'd have never won the caucuses, had never gotten a show on Fox, wouldn't have the TBN show he has now, wouldn't be the multimillionaire that he is now. They took my advice and competed. I remember when I got there that day for the caucuses, it was 170 degrees out. Eric Wilson was sick and battling the heat, and he kept having to go back for more tickets because more Huckabee, more people came to Strawpool for Hawk Huckabee than they had ever considered, and he ended up finishing a pretty close second to Mitt Romney at that event, and that was the breakthrough for Mike Huckabee's campaign, for sure, is that one was. Um, the, uh, the, the, I can't, I gave some, I gave a, one piece of terrible advice to Cruz, which I've talked about on the show before, but it was not in Iowa. It was involving the Illinois primary when there was a, basically a riot between Trump voters and proto versions of Antifa. I totally read that one wrong, you know, and, and uh, we, we took the advice of people like me and others and ended up losing a primary that our numbers showed we were going to win. Um, but in terms of Iowa, I don't know that I've ever given advice that, I don't have a perfect record, period, but I do know Iowa pretty well, you know? Um, I can't think of any piece of advice I've given in Iowa that I would take back, actually. I can't. I had nothing in mind uh, for that one, and I had a bunch for the other one, so I, I just didn't really know if there was anything that... You, I mean, you've been doing this for a while, so you reflect... Every one that happens, you reflect differently on the ones that went before, too, so... It's been a ride, huh? It has been. I mean... I mean, I, I just, I wouldn't be where yeah. I am without the Iowa caucuses for sure. And what's funny is I, I truly, when I got the job at WHO, I really had no idea the amount of influence it could wield. I just, I remember the day after the 08 caucuses, my general manager, Joel McRae called me into his office and said, Hey, congratulations on your big win last night. I said, I wasn't on the ballot. Mike Huckabee was. He goes, Oh yes, you were. And he point and he took me over to his desk and on his desk, he always had the coverage map for WHO radio. Okay. He grabbed the front page of the Des Moines register, which had the county by county turnout for Huckabee and Romney in that caucus cycle. And he laid it out over the coverage map for WHO radio and everywhere WHO radio could be heard. Mike Huckabee won Iowa and everywhere WHO radio could not be heard, which is like Sioux city way up in Northwest Iowa. That's where Mitt Romney won. And he looked, and then he turned to me and said, "Again, I congratulate you on your big win hey, last night." Romney won Romney, Northwest yeah. Iowa. He did. Yeah, that is crazy. I do not recall that. Whoa. Yes, he did. Yep. Because so. that's the most conservative part of the uh, most arguably. Republican yes, part yes. of the state. I don't know if it's the most conservative, yeah. but yeah. All right, we'll come back, and one of the candidates in this year's cycle will join us, Governor Ron DeSantis. Next. For a decade now, Patriot Mobile has been America's only American wireless service provider. And when I say they're the only, trust me, they're the only one. Uh, They have a fantastic team. And that's why we've been supporting them here on The Blaze. And they give you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without having to fund your enemies directly anymore. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, our military veterans, first responders, heroes, and more. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy, so you can keep your number, keep your phone, or upgrade. Our family made the switch a couple of years ago, haven't looked back. 
back. We've loved being with Patriot Mobile. Their team will help you find the best plan that fits your needs. Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT and get a free activation when you use the offer code Steve. Make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com, offer code Steve for the free activation at PatriotMobile.com or call 972-PATRIOT. Well, he is back in Florida preparing for the State of the State address, but he has, of course, been all over our home state of Iowa uh, with the caucuses looming nigh. He is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor, it's good to have you back with us here on the show, brother. How are you? Good. You got you got a big game tonight with the Wolverines, man. Best of luck there. That We do. We have a big one tonight, no doubt about it. You've got a big one here uh, next Monday night. Where do you think things are here on the ground based on what you have seen uh, transpire in these last few weeks? Well, I think we're, we're, I think we have the momentum. I think we're doing very well. Uh, you know, we've got, um, you know, tens of thousands of people that are already committed to caucus for us. We have the precincts organized where I think 15, almost 1600 precinct captains that are going to be there. Uh, all the things you need to do to be able to maximize your vote on the Iowa caucus. I also think it's the fact that you've seen people like Nikki Haley, you know, she's in New Hampshire saying that Iowa's votes need to be corrected uh, by other states. Um, you know, she's, she's stepping in it. And then the former president, Donald Trump, you know, he's out there on the campaign trail. And if you put a, the side-by-side -side between him in 2016 riffing and really at the top of his game versus now in 2024, I mean, it's just a different guy uh, that you're seeing there. Obviously, he's taking positions like building a new FBI headquarters in D.C. that's going to cost a billion dollars plus. Uh, he's waffled on gender ideology and even uh, attacked pro-life legislation. So, so I think it's a different candidate than the one he was in, in 2016. So as we come down the stretch, Iowans are going to be able to make a decision. Uh, Donald Trump's running for his issues. Nikki Haley's running for her donors' issues. I'm the one really running for your issues and your family's issues and just the sole focus on being a very disciplined, focused president to turn this country around. Of all the candidates running, it's just a fact uh, that I'm most in tune with the values of the Iowa Republicans that are going to go and vote on the Iowa caucus. And so I think that that's a good position to be in. You made the 99-county tour. You did the full Grassley. Over the course of that time in our state, was there one common theme, one common question, one common objective, uh, or objection, I should say, that, that you received more than any other as you've engaged Iowans throughout, what, the last seven or eight months now? Well, I definitely think the border, no matter where in Iowa I was, people are very concerned. I mean, our country has over 8 million people that are that are coming into this country. Uh, massive numbers. We don't know who they are. They're coming from all across the world. It's causing huge problems, of course, but then the prospect of terrorist attacks and other types of, uh, of, of criminal activity is, is looming large in voters' minds. I saw that increase after the Israel attack. Uh, Israel got attacked on October 7th because I think people just intuitively like, oh, wait, Israel's got the best border security in the world, and yet they got uh, viciously attacked. Are we led to believe that an open border of the United States, that our enemies are not taking advantage of this? Of course they are. And so I think it kind of it's counter to the media thinking the only people that care about the border are, are people in border towns. You know, I went on a ride along in Wayne County, Iowa, uh, and you see how the cartels and the illegal immigration 
has affected a rural county in Iowa. So, so every community's become a border community. And I think Iowans want somebody that's finally gonna bring this issue to an end. Um, you know, Donald Trump obviously promised to build the wall and to have record deportations, and, th and that didn't happen. Uh, we don't have an opportunity. We're not gonna get a mulligan on this one. I mean, we're either gonna restore this country's sovereignty now, or it may never happen. I'm glad you brought up the border. One of the, uh, the, the watchmen on the wall on this issue is a mutual friend of ours, Congressman Chip Roy. Last week, another congressman, and you're a former member of Congress, so you know this, you know this chamber well. Uh, last week, there was a congressional delegation led by current Speaker Mike Johnson. They went down to the border to see the invasion for themselves. In fact, they actually watched um, the uh, people crossing the border as they were there. This, this happened in real time. Uh, the speaker has now come back from that event, Governor, and decided to just go ahead and, and, and give us the full Kevin McCarthy. Uh, we're going to codify the McCarthy debt bomb into law. We're going to just fund everything at this, of, this of this government, Lathiathan, that is allowing this invasion that you heard about for, from Iowans and I hear about from people all over the country uh, for the better part of this last year. We, we can't afford a government shutdown. We can't fight on anything. And, and, and you know, when, when you were in Congress, people that do what I do for a living, we coined a phrase called failure theater all right which was essentially creating a dynamic where it looked like we're, the republicans are very upset about something so they can give a voice to it and then they're going to turn right around and sell us out on it a little bit later on and now there's this new element which is and i i call it and, and i knew that johnson was going to sell us out when he went on cnbc to tell us that he was endorsing donald trump for president because like no one cares about his presidential endorsement so that was a clear sign i'm about to sell you out so let me paint the elephant's blood on the door write it in Trump and the angel of accountability will pass over my door and I cannot be held accountable for my lame and gutless leadership any longer because I'm backing Trump and that's all that matters to you is that I give voice to Donald Trump on your behalf so now he's going to fund everything he's going to do the full McCarthy I don't know what your Floridian uh, fellow Floridian Matt Gates accomplished with his gambit uh, of the of the changing the speaker out you're one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus, you would have to corral this and, and herd these cats as president. What's your perspective on all of this? Because I have to tell you, I'm really, really angry about it, and I'm not alone. Well, yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, we've seen this Trump dynamic play out where, you know, somebody like a Kim Reynolds, who's one of the most successful conservative governors in the modern history of our party uh, in Iowa, um, you know, she gets trashed by by Trump and other other folks just because she she wouldn't endorse them and eventually endorse me. Meanwhile, you could be the most lily livered liberal Republican, never stand up for a single conservative thing. But but if you if you kiss the ring of Trump, then somehow you're viewed as like a member in good standing. So it's become totally detached from the underlying principles and issues that we're supposed to be championing. And the way I view it is uh, elected officials, you know, we're only you're only as good as the results you're producing. Uh, and if people are not standing for the things that we need to, the idea that they should just get a pass because they endorse a politician, you know, is absurd. Ultimately, a movement's going to run aground if that's the truth. Then on this budget, look, this is just selling out uh, everything that they ran on in 2022. You know, they said that they were going to change uh, the way Washington operates. They said that they were going to hold these agencies accountable. You know, that's the thing. The House of Representatives is supposed to, because they're armed with the power of the purse, uh, be the people's redress for when government 
misbehaves, when government violates people's rights, when government doesn't do its core functions like it's failing to do at the border. If you're willing to just simply fund the whole thing into perpetuity, then you're never going to get any of those uh, practices change. And so he says, oh, well, we're, we're really concerned about a, a, quote, government shutdown. Well, what's going on now with the status quo is shutting down our country. Mm -hmm. It's shutting down the American dream. It's shutting down our sovereignty. Why would you want to just green light the current order of things, given how bad all this is? But, you know, this has been standard practice, I think, for Republicans for a long time. What, what you really just need is leadership. I mean, I think Trump, when he was president, he had an opportunity to change some of this. It just wasn't anything he wanted to fight on. I mean, he signed a massive uh, spending bill, I think his first or second year in office, and he pledged he would never do it again. And yet he did it, I think, a half a dozen times again, culminating in CARES Act 1 and 2, which added another $4 trillion to the debt just in his last year in office. But I think if you have a president that lays down the marker that's going to galvanize Republican voters and a lot of independent voters around the country. And then that puts pressure on these guys to actually do what they say they're going to do. And I think one of the problems is, is they're allowed to campaign as conservatives. Then they get up and they just do business as usual, but they don't really get called on it uh, the way we need to. Using that bully pulpit will make a difference. Um, and we'll be able to lay a marker down and say, we're not going to have, we're just not going to allow this to happen. And you know what? That's happened with me and my life. I've worked well with the Florida legislature, but, you know, we had an issue on congressional redistricting. I said, look, I'm going to veto this. I don't this is not going to work for me. You know, they went ahead and passed it. I vetoed it. They had to go back in special session and, and fix it. So you just got to be willing to use your leverage and use your constitutional authority. Final thing I want to ask you about along those lines, your record of, of accomplishment is really not in dispute. That's why there's almost no discussion about it amongst people in my line of work that either Trump is bought off or they would like Trump to buy them off. Uh, and so we have to talk about your boots or, you know, something else uh, that has nothing to do with anything anybody cares about because the resume for, speaks for itself. Your inner calculus of when to fight, because I think part of the issue people have is I think a lot of our people, Governor, have kind of given up. But the, the show is the best we can do. Like, we couldn't actually win. We can't actually fight. So can I at least be entertained here on the last days of Pompeii? Uh, can we have more games and sports? And can we own more libs uh, here in the, the, the rec decline and fall of the, the Roman Empire? As opposed to, can we actually fight and win? When, when is it time, if, if it's not, hey, we just took in more people over the border in December, twice as many more people over the border than we deported all of last year, and that was one month. If that's not the time, and they're all unvetted, we don't know where they're going, if that's not the time to fight, when is the time to fight? When, when does the red line for our, for our side ever get drawn? Well, it's kind of like Lucy with the football. I mean, we're always be being told that they're going to take care of things, and then it comes, and Lucy just moves that football away time and time again. Look, we showed in Florida that when people are convinced that you got their back and that you will fight for them, and we did this during COVID, we did this by fighting Disney to, to protect our kids from gender ideology, we've done it time and time again. When people see that and they trust you, they come out in, in droves uh, to support you. 
And I think what our folks do up in D.C., they're too concerned about what the Beltway media says about them. They're too concerned with whatever a, a poll would say in short term, which, by the way, the media would manufacture that against Republicans anyway to try to drive a narrative. Uh, and they're not they're not as fixated on you know, thinking further down the road about, look, we have a government that is out of control. We have a government that is not consistent with the founding fathers understanding of the constitution. We have a government that going on its current course, um, you know, this country is gonna fail. So if you're not willing to dig in with the power that you have because you're worried about the political repercussions, then you're just not gonna be people uh, you're not going to be uh, candidates that people are going to want to come out and support. Whereas if you fight for them, they appreciate it. Even if you don't win every fight, if you're there fighting for them and doing what you said you're going to do and identifying these problems, they will come out for you. But Florida is a great example that when you govern in bold colors, when you take strong stands, when you actually fight for people instead of whatever the interest groups are saying, that there's a big constituency for that. And there, and we wouldn't have been able to win the biggest victory in Florida history in a governor's race for a Republican unless that was the case. And so I could just tell you, January 20th, 2025, uh, we're digging in on all these issues uh, and we're just not gonna leave any meat on the bone. We understand we have limited time to be able to get all this done and we just gotta do it and we've gotta fight and you gotta do, use all the levers at your disposal to be able to do it. But I really believe a president setting the agenda, going directly to the voters, that's gonna get these Republicans in line because the voters are gonna wanna see uh, the direction that we're going. And that's what you have proven and demonstrated there in Florida. And hopefully uh, you'll get a chance to prove and demonstrate that before the rest of the country as well. Thank you, Governor, for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. You bet, take care. All right, guys, got a few minutes here. Wanted to make sure you had enough time to uh, respond to the conversation we just had with Governor DeSantis. What do you think? Well, I think this has been a, a perfect dovetail to the way that we started the show. The way you laid out the tale of two Mikes, Mike DeWine and Mike Johnson. I was thinking about this. What is Mike short for? Michael. Hmm. Named after whom? Probably St. Michael, the archangel, yeah, the archangel who yeah. is mentioned in Revelation as fighting against whom? Oh, no, he's just owning the libs in Revelation. I'm sorry. No, he was fighting against Satan. In Revelation, do those guys live up to their names? No. Where are the men who fight? Well, we just talked to one. And it's really just this simple, guys. I know based is the word that the new right, the, the online right likes to use. Ron, De Ron DeSantis is based. His record is based. His vision is based. It's just that simple. As Todd likes to say, take him. Take him. There's a man who will fight. And on top of everything else, based on my observations, and you've been around him in person, Steve, mm -hmm. but what I'm seeing in all of uh, the clips... Uh, and right here, he also looks like he's getting, instead of like at the end where, Hey, everybody has their kind of pucker moments. They get a little uptight, you know, gosh, is it all, has it all been worth it? He looks like he's yeah. more comfortable than ever before. I, I think we all know he get, he, the guy is a doer. He wants to go to work. He doesn't, he doesn't want to constantly be out there just talking 
but I think he's he's starting to find his sweet spot, and and he uh, and he understands after doing the '99 tour in Iowa, he how worth it it was, who we are, what we're about, and so listen, I, I think th- that workout has put muscle. He talks about putting you know there's a lot of meat on that bone. I think that this man would talk about the fighter that Aaron talked about. He was a fighter beforehand. I think he's put on some muscle since then because of what Iowa demands everybody goes through. And instead of other politicians resenting it, he's tipping his hat to Iowa and saying, thank you. Let's reward him for it. He's right there. Take him. Let's see what happens in these next couple months. It's going to be an interesting final week because I, I, I do think that in the last couple of weeks, especially since Christmas, the traditional caucus process has woken up. The, um, the, I mean, the body was cold until the governor got in in October, and at least we had a heartbeat. Now, you know, we have really for the last couple of weeks, it has felt like full time what it's normally like all the time in the final few months of a, of a race here, you know? So how much runway can you cover in that short amount of time? I don't know the answer. I've never seen a cycle like this, so I have no way to analyze it or anything to compare it to. It'll be fascinating to see what happens seven days from today. Romans 828. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.